0: So we appreciate you all so, so much. We're giving an exclusive $10 off the Move to Improve Challenge with TOB10. So that's the discount code, TOB10. And if you'd come join the challenge, you get the challenge at the early bird discount still. And this is only for our podcast listeners that we're doing this because we just appreciate you coming back, subscribing, learning with us. And in the challenge, you're going to learn so much more. We have over 1,500 people already signed up, ready to move. I've had messages about people who have sciatic pain, constant back issues, almost needing a hip replacement, knee issues. So across the board, we have a lot of people willing to move in order to improve. And that's what this challenge is about. 30 days of being led by me, full instructional videos. So don't miss out on this opportunity. Again, use code TOB10 to get the $10 off. And we're so excited to move with you. Dr. Emily, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. You are the first podiatrist that we're having on the podcast, and I'm really excited because I know there's a lot of people who have gone through possible other podiatrists and gotten information, and and we're just really excited to have you maybe come from a very different perspective. I mean, I know that you've been in the fitness industry, and you have written books and your products, so
2: I'm so honestly very excited to dive into all of that. Of course, thank you so much, and I'm honored to be the first podiatrist.
1: <laughs> I'm kind of shocked based on how much we talk about feet. Like we're not we do- we're not doing gone. our due diligence, Jane. What know. the heck? Um, so first and foremost, I, you have listed kind of in, of course, the most official place where you list what you are and who you know, who you are and what you do in your Instagram bio that you're a functional podiatrist. <laughs> Can you just explain a little bit to me what that means and how that might differ from a standard podiatrist?
2: Yeah, so I take great pride in calling myself a functional podiatrist, (laughs) which means that I'm looking at the body from an integrated perspective, which Hmm. might be very different than the listener's experiences with other podiatrists or what they associate with what a podiatrist would do and believe in just pushing supportive shoes and orthotics, and they never even watch the patient move. Mm. And as a functional podiatrist, I'm everything anti- that or the opposite, that I actually get a lot of my patients out of their orthotics. I recommend minimal footwear, barefoot stimulation, and I'm doing gait assessments on every single patient. And then even further in the functional podiatry is I factor in things like sleep patterns, stress, um, the gut biome. So I'm really looking this combination of functional movement with functional medicine, and then that's functional podiatry. That is
0: absolutely incredible. Like, mm-hmm. this is the kind of doctor that I'd want to go to, you know. Oh, yeah. I'm already excited. <laughs> yeah, when something happens. And unfortunately, I think that's a very rare specialty to kind of be able to fall into. Like, how would someone, just trying to think about it, how would someone try to seek out
2: more of a functional approach for podiatry? Um, it's going to be really hard. Yeah, that's what I figured. Uh, because I, I wish that I learned what I know and how I approach patients in podiatry school and in residency. But unfortunately, I didn't. So Mm. it was everything that I did outside of my medical degree in residency that shaped how I approach patients. And to me, one of the most important things that I did is that I went back to school after medical school and I got my master's in human movement and that really opened up my perspective. And then I take a lot of trainings that probably both of you have taken as far as like breath work and pelvic work and mm. fascia and all of that. Um, I'm also um, doing a fellowship in functional medicine and anti aging medicine, so that mm. I can really shape this specialty that is really not that big.
1: Well, it's exciting that you're kind of on the forefront of pushing all this. and This is amazing. I just laugh because, I mean, you even say like pelvic floor. It's crazy to think that the pelvic floor is attached to how our feet operate and vice versa, <laughs> isn't it? Um, <laughs> but I want to ask you, the first thing you mentioned, like you, you may go to a podiatrist and the first thing they start to mention is orthotics. And that's not something you do. You have more of this barefoot or minimalist shoe approach. And why are orthotics a thing? And why is that the first thing? Place that many podiatrists go versus your approach.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of that has to do with as a medical professional, which you guys can maybe appreciate what I'm going to say is that you then translate to patients what you are taught in Mm -hmm. your training, right? So if Mm. I only learned to approach foot pathology or foot imbalances from an orthotic management perspective. That's all that I have in my toolbox. So I'm going to go to the resources that I have. And that's unfortunately what a lot of podiatry is focused on is they teach you that is the option, the only option. And, you know, I hate to tell people, but it is also a business. It's a cash paying business to do orthotics. So you make a lot of money on them. Um, And unfortunately, that's then shaping the way that certain podiatrists or medical professionals will make recommendations.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that's even, you know, at a physical therapist in a clinic, we were as an aide, we were constantly doing molds in order to send out to get orthotics for patients. And, you know, going through PT school, continuing to learn and knowing what I know now, it is, you know, the same trying to get people out of orthotics. How can we create this place and environment where your feet aren't as dependent on an external source in order to provide your relief. But how do you start to educate people into if they we're told, you know, this is what helps my pain. This is why I need, I have plantar fasciitis, I have a heel drop. I have all these things. I, I have to have it for this reason. And when
1: I walk barefoot, I'm, I, I have more pain.
0: Right. So how do we start to, ed- how do you start to educate people out of the idea of needing
2: these orthotics? Well, the unique thing about my practice, I think, and the benefit of the internet is that a lot of patients or individuals can now empower themselves mm. by doing research on the, on their own. They listen to podcasts such as yours, and they can really start to question things and realize that, okay, just because this authority told me something is that the be all end all as what relates to my body. So I think patients are starting to question things coming into a doctor's office. Um, but then for my practice and how I promote my practice is very much around chronic pain, chronic movement dysfunction, chronic movement disorders. So most of my patients have exhausted many other treatment options, maybe have seen five other people and they're just kind of at their wit's end and they want to have this completely outside of the box perspective on their imbalance or their foot pain or, or whatever it might be. Um, so they're very quite open. I don't have to do a heavy education to convince them to mm. try sensory stimulation and minimal shoes and barefoot movement. Um, they're quite open and I get good results because they're invested in the process.
1: Mm. I think that's so true in that people are starting to have a much higher access to education and information and just being able to debunk some of these myths they've been told their whole life and start seeking out things for themselves. So
0: To do something different. To
1: do something different. Try something different. Mm-hmm. If somebody's sitting out there at home right now and you talked a bit about movement, how you love to look at people's movement, is there something that they could do at their own home that would be a kind of a, a self-assessment on their foot, their ankle mobility?
2: I actually have a self, a self-assessment that is on one of my websites. Okay. Barefootstrong.com and that's, so that's my website. And then on there, it'll say foot type quiz, and you will take pictures of your foot from behind, from the front, single leg, single heel raise, and it helps to differentiate your foot type. And then there's a small explanation of what each foot type means. Obviously, it becomes very generalized because there's more than three type of feet. There's Mm. probably hundreds of variations of feet Mm. that I could talk about, but it at least starts to empower the patient and the individual to not just take for face value because the number of patients that I've had that have said, I've been told I overpronate or I have flat feet. And I look at their feet and I was like, what are you talking about? (laughs) You have a totally neutral foot and your foot does not make me, you know, excited to push you in orthotics in any way at all um, mm. so that, that's where people can start to explore that
0: I love that I what are the three types of feet that
2: you're categorizing in that in that sense well footwear companies <laughs> want us to classify our feet as high arch which is the shock absorbing shoe that you need the neutral foot which is just this perfect you know, position that you're trying to achieve and then the over-pronated, quote-unquote, flat foot, Mm -hmm. which I actually don't like that word, flat foot, um, which would be in a, quote-unquote, motion-controlled shoe. So that's the way that media and footwear companies and maybe some shoe retailers try to bucket individuals into or patients and feet into. And then really there's so many types of let's say flat feet that I could just break down but that's that's generally how people will start to think of it is flat feet high arch neutral or over pronated I'm too mobile neutrals in the middle high arch I'm too rigid mm. that's the scale that we're kind of moving along mm-hmm.
1: mm. so why is it that you say you would want to kick <laughs> no pun intended kick the term <laughs> flat foot
2: I mean, because it doesn't really tell me anything. So when I teach other professionals to classify foot types and they'll use that word flat feet, that's not telling me is there an over pronation or rotational deformity that's happening. Mm -hmm. Because that's actually what is causing impact elsewhere in the body is the rotation of pronation, the collapse inward um for the listeners. Where some people can have a flat foot, which is a pancake foot, and there's absolutely no impact upward in the chain. Those are two completely different types of flat feet, if you're using that word. And then some people's will be flexible, some will be rigid, some will be because of ligament laxity, some will be because of strength. So we need to have further classification under it so that it tells me or it'll it'll shape how I approach that foot from a functional perspective. Mm. Well, I think that's everything. And and the reason why you're
0: doing a gait assessment, you're looking at the way a person is moving because if we're just looking at feet on a table or let's just stand in place, you know, that doesn't tell me anything functionally how your body is responding and what muscles are actually activating and what do we need to be looking at at you know that carries from the feet up the chain. So I think that you're doing such a wonderful job in not only being able to take out the norm but you're you're now being able to translate this into what people can understand and start to learn when they come either to your website or to see you in person
1: okay so if this podcast and all the knowledge that dr emily is dropping hasn't convinced you yet that you need to get your hands on and feet in a pair of vivo barefoot shoes i don't know what will so if you want to get some go to the link in the show notes and use code POB 15 for 15% off your pair and start being able to take advantage of all of these amazing things that Dr. Emily is talking about.
0: There's been a code change. Use code optimal now at checkout to get that 15% off. The code is optimal.
1: And she's got more tidbits coming. So let's get back to the interview.
0: I wish that all podiatrists would start to approach patient care in this kind of manner. I think that's so beautiful. And one thing that we always hear in broad terms a lot as well is, you know, well, my bunions are hereditary and this is or my plantar fasciitis is hereditary. My mom has it. I'm going to have it. This is just what it is. Yeah. How much of that can we really dictate to,
2: okay, this is your genetic code and this is what you can control? Yeah, so I do not like those sayings. <laughs> those sayings. Agreed. Oh, so, you know these these bunions are genetic, and it's like they're really not genetic because there's nowhere on your DNA imprinted, you know, the code for a bunion. Like that's just that's not genetic. That's that's actually a misuse of the term. Mm. But what is actually hereditary, you could say, or a characteristic that you do get from your parents or your grandparents is your connective tissue integrity. Mm -hmm. So if someone has, let's go to the extreme of Ehlers-Danlos. So for any of the listeners, that's people who are really flexible. And when you think of like a contortionist, someone who's extremely flexible has something unusual with their connective tissue flexibility that's beyond the scale of, you know, expected. So having ligament laxity or a little bit more stretch to your connective tissue allows your foot to become mobile in the joint that creates the bunion and That's where I would say the bunion itself is not what's hereditary or genetic. It is the ligament laxity of your first ray and your medial column. And now your first metatarsal is able to swing out and you get a bunion. Hmm. That's how I would like people to speak about it. But then again, even at that, if you have a ligament laxity and you focus on intrinsic foot strengthening and you keep your glutes strong, or maybe you use. An orthotic, maybe I don't know. I put it out there. Then <laughs> you don't necessarily have to get the bunion.
1: Yeah, and I, and I think you you just took it to that next level. There is you may have that same connective tissue makeup uh, that, that your parents do, and another thing that you may or may not inherit from your parents is the environment that you put those feet mm-hmm. into and the yep. footwear that you learn is quote, normal to use based on what you see your parents using? Or do they wear heels a lot? Do they wear very tight athletic type shoes? And so if you were working with somebody who came to you and says, Hey, my parents have bunions, I'm noticing this is seeming to start to develop and I'm feeling like I'm having pain. What would be some of the advice you would give them on how to either (laughs) prevent bunions from developing further or, you know, reduce that?
2: Yep. And I actually do get that a lot. And I love those patients because they're so preactive and want to really understand their body and take these steps in preventive method versus reactive. And that's mm-hmm. really the best approach to health and wellness, I believe. So if someone is trying to prevent a bunion, even though it's potentially familial, they have family members that have it, I would say keep the feet strong make sure that your foot is not just strong in a isolated local perspective, but you always need your foot strengths to be integrated with your pelvic floor uh, and your glutes. So the way that your body controls movement is very much about your center of gravity or your center of mass, which is your core, right? And then your contact point with the ground, which is going to be your foot. And that foot to core strength or integration or stability is really, really important for movement and overall foot health. So keep the feet strong, keep the intrinsic strong, and then make sure that they're connected to the core, keeping the foot and ankle flexible. So you have to have enough mobility in the joints so that you don't start cheating the system and compensating um, over pronation or collapsing into a flat foot is oftentimes a compensation for limited ankle mobility so ankle mobility is really important Uh, using things like toe spacers are a great way to keep a natural alignment into the forefoot or the digits wearing footwear that supports a natural splay and isn't going to push you into a deviated position. Um, I'm a big believer in sensory stimulation, so still being barefoot, using different surfaces, bringing in that that activation of the foot. Um, and then, if you actually do have a ligament laxity of the medial column or the inside of the foot, you may you may want to think about orthotics. But if I do recommend orthotics or have it be one of my suggestions to a patient, I'm educating them on how to integrate them, which means that they still do barefoot, they still strengthen their foot, they'll still strengthen their foot to core. It's just part of the overall puzzle or treatment approach.
0: And have you seen improvements with people who have severe bunions, maybe not always in structure, but in function? Or do you see both? Like,
2: do you see improvement in bunions? Yes. So this is the one that all the listeners are going to say, I was with you until this point. <laughs> because this is where the, the the realist has to come out is bunions are, once they reach a certain point, they become what is considered structural. So you mm-hmm. cannot reverse... This deviation of the first metatarsal, the long bone in the foot that actually creates the bunion bump, that's a long bone in the foot that's deviated out. You cannot get that bone back into alignment without surgery. It is impossible. Now, what you can do through toe spacers and exercises to the abductor hallucis, which is the muscle that pulls the toe that's angled back, or the toe spacers will create space and shift the big toe over more towards the center, okay? What you can do with that is you create a better alignment. You don't reverse entirely, but you create a more functional alignment of the joint surface. And then clinically it'll oftentimes look like the bunion is less. But if I looked at an x-ray, the angle that that metatarsal swung out has probably not changed. So that is just one part that I'm very vocal or passionate about making sure people understand the reality of bunions. And there are some people on the internet that say that they can cure your bunion (laughs) and reverse your bunion. (laughs) And I don't like to use naivety of a patient or someone who doesn't fully understand that to try to sell them a product or make money off of them. Um, So I just want that full transparency for the listeners on bunions.
0: So incredibly key and important for people to understand. Um, And I had talked about before too, you know, my, my mom has bunions And then she started, she actually listened to our podcast, which is cool. (laughs) (laughs) And she started picking up some of these exercises that we were talking about and her pain and irritation of the bunion went away. Now, did the bunion completely heal? No. Or the structure, what you're talking about. However, the function... And now she's in barefoot shoes and she's, you know, it's just, it's such a beautiful thing to be like, oh my God, she did three of the exercises regularly that I talk about. And all of a sudden she's yeah. already starting to feel a difference. I mean, it's its amazing.
1: And she's well into her sixties, which is the age where people start to get the attitude of, well, it's not going to change now, <laughs> you yeah. know, Yeah. I, I'm way too far gone to, to make any difference. And so I, I really like that you brought that up and that if you're working on these toe spacers and working on these You know, functional active foot exercises, it can appear that the bump isn't as big because your big toe might not be angled as far inward. And so I do think that there's value to that too. A lot of people will get the symptoms to go away, is what a lot of people are looking for. But you may also start to be able to appreciate the aesthetic of your foot more once you become more aware of it. And you've been mentioning toe spacers a few times. I know that you have your Naboso technologies that. Include some toe spacers. Could you talk about that a little bit as well, and the the sensory aspect of what some of these technologies can do? Because I know earlier you mentioned different sensory integration.
2: Yeah. So with the toe spacers at Naboso, we sell toe spacers. Um, This is one where initially people who are not familiar with them will say, "Oh, like when you get the pedicure and they put something (laughs) in your toes." Yes, kind of, but these are something that you can slide onto the foot. They create a space between every toe. You wear them on your feet and you can walk around. You can use them when working out. You can wear them in your shoes. You can wear them just around the house. So they're quite um, diverse in how you can integrate them into your functional lifestyle. But the benefit of a toe spacer is that it stretches the small muscles in the front of the foot creates a good splinting effect to all of the digits. So if any of the listeners have hammer toes or they their toes are contracting in and pulling in, toe spaces are great for that as well. Of course, we mentioned the bunion, so it'll deviate the bunion out a little bit for better joint alignment. And then here's a really cool benefit that not a lot of people are familiar with is that your plantar fascia, which runs from your heel, it goes all the way into each toe. So when you use toe spacers, it's actually a plantar fascia stretch, which is great for people who might have plantar fasciitis. or the little bit of tease of of heel pain, I will use toe spacers for that as well. Oh, yeah. And then on the... Noboso side, which is a company that I launched um, a couple years ago, and it is a sensory product line. All of our products integrate little tiny pyramids across the surface, and we have insoles, socks, release tools, mats, flooring, and everything is built around how important sensory stimulation is to our feet. And then the effect that that has on our foot health, our posture, our core strength, our movement, and we just deliver it through all of those different surfaces or products.
0: So can you explain a little bit more about what exactly you mean by sensory integration and and using some of these tools to create a different effect?
2: Yes. So by sensory, that would be how we connect to the surfaces that we're standing on. So I'll talk about sensory with feet. Now, when you are barefoot, obviously you're taking away the shoe, the socks, and you are feeling everything under your feet. If you are on the sand, you would feel each of the different sand granules. If you were on the grass, you would feel the individual grass fibers. So that sensory exploration experience Is actually really important to how your brain or your nervous system controls each step that we take. And that could mean stability on one leg. That could mean transfer of energy, reducing falls, improving athletic performance. So when I say sensory foot, it's really about what your foot is feeling underneath it when you stand and you walk and you move. So footwear. And unfortunately, minimal footwear too takes away some of that information coming into your feet, which means that your brain is not getting the full picture of what it is standing or moving on. That can affect movement, balance, performance, all of that. So with Novoso, why I created it in the first place was because I was advocating barefoot stimulation, barefoot movement. And then I was like, well, what happens when people get into their shoes? They, there's this immediate disconnect with the ground. How can I get more sensory into the shoe? So I started playing around with texture, textured insoles. Um, and now that, that's where how it's kind of expanded into flooring and mats and release tools. Um, but just simply stated, the more you can feel under your feet when you stand, walk, move, the better the control of the movement. Does that mean reducing falls? Does that mean improving posture? Does it mean improving athletic performance? It's all of that. And we all need to connect to our feet and how it feels the ground.
1: Mm, I think that's so important. And that was such a great kind of overview of this sensory ability that our feet give us and how much we are muting and dulling that down by you know, compacting our feet into these tiny little shoe prisons that are the, the common <laughs> underfoot technology that we've created in the footwear industry these days. Um, and I think that that was kind of a great transition into you having written a whole book on Barefoot Strong. And can you kind of speak a little more to what people would find in this book or what Barefoot Strong itself, where you came up with that title?
2: Yeah. So a lot of people, when they see the title or think of me as this barefoot advocate, they assume that I mean walking around barefoot all over the city and wherever (laughs) they go. And that's not what I mean. (laughs) You could do that. And I support people who do decide to have a fully barefoot lifestyle. But a majority of that, that's not going to resonate with us. So to me, being barefoot strong is someone who appreciates from a lifestyle, the importance of foot function and how it integrates with the rest of the body. That means strong feet, that means mobile feet, that means sensory sensitive feet that can feel the ground it means choosing intelligent footwear, such as Vivo Barefoot or Zero Shoes or any of the other minimal footwear that's out there. Maybe considering Naboso, that would be fun as well. But it's also just this inherent belief that you now have and integrate into your lifestyle. And to me, that's what it means when someone says that they're barefoot strong or I live by a barefoot strong philosophy which actually the the subtitle of that book is Unlocking the Secrets to Movement Longevity. And I'm hugely passionate around anti-aging medicine or anti-aging philosophies. Mm. Um, so movement longevity and movement is how I apply my passion for anti-aging medicine or philosophies into my other passion, which is movement. Because um, we don't want to just look young We want to move young as well.
0: Oh my goodness. I I just absolutely love everything that you're saying. I'm just
1: sitting over here cheesing because I feel like we talk this way way too much and it's fun to have another provider who's going (laughs) in depth on so much knowledge bombs about the feet.
0: (laughs) And what we we believe, what we say, what we're trying to educate and push toward. You know, every time I I feel like I'm posting about barefoot shoes and why I love them and and how they've transformed my feet, there's always that... But I could never do that because I have this, this, this or because my podiatrist told me I need this thick, really padded shoe, right? And so I I think it's it's still a conversation that needs to be heard over Mm -hmm. and over again Mm -hmm. of how we start to be able to help people to feel their feet again and get back into that movement. And on top of that, I know you also talk about the emotional side of movement, and mm-hmm. I'm curious how you, as a podiatrist, have been able to work that into your practice.
2: Yeah, so i I get bored very easily, so I'm constantly questioning <laughs> like things. But i i started I started to see a lot of trends in my patients, and this is already when my practice was starting to be chronic pain and chronic movement dysfunction disorders, as soon as you start to get this chronic characteristic to either your pain or your diagnosis or whatever it is, you start to see a shift in the emotional relationship with that diagnosis or condition. And so seeing that in my patients, I started to notice that Patient A, who had a very positive outlook around it, was still able to have a high function despite having the same diagnosis or presentation of patient B, who carried a much more uh, pessimistic woe is me, my name is John and I have chronic pain. Like they were very much identified with their pain. And I started to see a difference of my treatment recommendations and the success for them from a a functional perspective. Um, So I actually started diving into emotional flexibility, emotional connections, um, hypnotherapy, various trauma therapy, um, dove into uh, Peter Levine's work and um, somatic experiencing, It's also New York City where there's access to everything. (laughs) So you can dive into this, you know, rabbit hole of trauma and what trauma does and the lens through which we Mm. look at the world. So it kind of gets quite complex. But it's why I emphasize it and why I'm curious about it is because any time a professional interacts with a human being – There needs to be a layer of appreciation of the lens at how I look at the world and the lens at how they look at the world. Mm -hmm. And my job is not to judge. Seeing chronic pain patients, I never judge a patient. And I, the first 15 minutes, sometimes longer, I might need to just sit there and listen. That's all that they want, is someone who will just listen to them and validate that the experiences that they're feeling are their own and they're real. And I believe that they have pain. I, I, it's subjective. I can't say yes or no that they feel pain. So that's kind of where I started getting into it. And then that opened up interoception, which goes into breath work. So from a programming perspective for my patients, breath work and connecting to their breath is part of everyone's program whether they have chronic pain or not, is I need to establish that they can connect to their breath and then we can connect your feet and your core and your fascia and your sensory and your body. But it has to be integrated into it once you understand how powerful it is.
1: Mm. Dr. Emily, I think that Jen and I need to be your friend.
2: (laughs) (laughs) We just friends. Yeah,
1: it is just so it, it speaks to us so much when you talk this way because it's the types of things that Jen and I have been trying to do since we were students even and since we started in the clinic talking to people about their emotional state and how it impacts their chronic low back pain, talking to people about you know how they breathe and how that affects their systemic stress levels, you know, throughout their their day and how it is all integrated and how Jen and I were you know, cast out in different PT circles because that, oh, that's not how we do it. We focus on the back and we follow this clinical guideline and we do this and that. And we just never quite bought into it that way because of the response we saw in people when we sat with them for 45 minutes or in their first 60 minute session because no one has ever listened to their 20 year journey and no one has ever sat there and given them that validation. And they already walk out feeling lighter <laughs> after that first session. And so I really, really appreciate, you know, in all of the education and different modalities and different, you know, schoolings you're pulling together, that this is where you're landing. And I, I always love looking at um, how much of our nervous system ends up in our feet, both sensory and motor. And the question I kind of want to ask you is, you know, similar to different practices like, reflexology or acupuncture um, or, you know, whatever it may be, where they focus on certain areas in the feet and how that might affect you emotionally or physically somewhere else in the body. Do you have any uh, belief in that within your practice?
2: So I do. Um, I, I personally am not trained in acupuncture or acupressure or reflexology. However, I've been to many reflexologists, both here in the States and throughout Asia. Um, I've traveled quite a bit in Asia for teaching and and uh, my education company. And the connection of what I feel uh, internally as well, I appreciate it. I love Eastern, Western and where they meet from a, a philosophy mm-hmm. perspective. So I definitely do integrate it, especially when I have this patient that is a little bit less traditional Western medicine, I ordered this MRI and there I see the damage and I'm going to do this, this treatment protocol. Um, A lot of neurological or nerve conditions, more fascial conditions respond really well to acupuncture, and then to reflexology as well. So I will definitely suggest them to patients. Um, And I have a reflexologist in New York City that I used to send a majority of my patients to.
0: Yeah, I, I think that that's so cool. And just the fact that you as a professional clinician are open to these other ways of being able to say, well, what else is there? And how would that work? And where can I implement that in order to continue to see success across the board? And I think that you're doing such incredible work you're really getting the word out to to people who need to hear it and hear it in a different way and feel empowered to do something different in order you know to feel a different result and this is what we talk about all the time and i just i really i'm i'm blown away with your work and what you do it's not something that we unfortunately hear a lot from podiatrists. And so I just highly appreciate you and and I want people to go follow you and be obsessed with everything. So where can they go find you? Um and 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 get your book and get your
2: tools and and everything. Of course. And thank you so much to uh, Dr. Jen and Dr. Dom for inviting me onto your podcast and for the opportunity to share and maybe change some of the listeners perspective on what podiatrists can offer mm-hmm. their patients. Um, so for following me on Instagram, my handle is dr. Emily DPM. It's very educational based. I try to put a lot of content on there. Um, Naboso on Instagram is N A B O S O underscore technology. And then the websites for my podiatry practice is my name. So dr. Emily Splickle. Good luck spelling that. We'll have it Um, linked up. (laughs) NABOSO is n-a-b-o-s-o dot com. And what I tell people is if you can't remember any of that, just Google Dr. Emily Barefoot and you will get all of the information that you need. Amazing.
1: Well, thanks again so much for taking the time. I know that Jen and I, if, if not personally follow up with more questions, we would love to have you back on in the future and collaborate more in the future.
2: Of course, it'd be my pleasure how incredible is Dr. Emily?
0: Isn't she just the best? Now, on top of everything, she's also giving a discount for her new Boso technology products. So use code OPTIMAL at checkout. Go check out the link. We're going to have it linked all below. However, go check out her products, like the toe spacers, especially if you don't have any yet. Go get some socks, some sensory equipment that she talks about. Use code OPTIMAL. You're going to get a discount. And please, please, if you love this, we want to continue to have more guests just like Dr. Emily, who are experts at what they do and bringing new research and science to be able to help you. So please subscribe if you haven't yet. If you can, leave a rating and review because it just helps us to be able to reach more people and get this information out. We so appreciate you showing up and hope to see you next time.